Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Welcome to My Millennial Property. I'm Emily Wallace and I'm joined by John Pigeon. Hello, Emily. Hello, hello. How are we doing today? Fantastic. Yeah, just really going well today. Really going well, having a great day. Well, I hope our listeners are having a great day too. And actually, today's episode is all about the listeners because we are doing a QA session and I love doing oh. these because it's just number one, it gives us variety in what we talk about and honestly the time flies it flies anyway but it flies even more on Q&A day totally uh, but also I love giving a shout out yeah. you know, I think it would be so cool to be listening to the podcast in your car while you're going for a walk and hear your name you'd be mm. like oh, that's me yes yeah that's right I was talking to someone the other day who was in a mining truck one of those wow. big ones you know real big ones listening to podcasts yeah. so it's awesome now, Q&A, I've literally got the, um, the Facebook group up in front of me as, as I look through questions that have been asked that I keep tagging you in, John, um, <laughs> that we need to answer. Yes. <laughs> so. No, I, I do notice that. So we're not making these questions up is what you're saying? No. No, we're not. So the first one comes from Gilly McGillian. Now, I'm not sure if that's a whole name or bo- broken into two, but anyway. Gilly asks, property purchase question. We're waiting for our pre-approval to come through. They have asked us for more information, as they always do, these banks. However, um, we are in a need to buy and we are inspecting a property this weekend that ticks all the boxes and we just need to inspect it. When people put in their offers, do they make ones on the conditions of subject to finance? And if so, how much is a pre-approval worth if you are having to wait for the real finance thing anyway? And is there any way to persuade the vendor to take your offer over another, obviously price excluding? For example, could you offer a high deposit to show how serious you are and are willing to put the money on the line to secure the property? Interesting, couple of different parts of that question, but first let's touch on the, the first point that was raised about we're going through the process of pre-approval, but we don't have it yet, but we want to place an offer on something. What are your thoughts, John? Yeah. So, Gilly, my my thoughts are in an ideal world, you want a pre-approval. We, we shouldn't – well, I mean, we can go looking for property, but once we've got the pre-approval, it, it means that the banks approved us um, subject to looking at the contract of sale and evaluation of that particular property. So if they haven't approved it, they've still got some work to be done to get that right. So we'll give that green light. So my my thoughts are, look, go and have a look at a property on the weekend. Um, there's probably another one that you'll like the, the week after and the week after that. There's plenty of property around the country and in your area, I suspect. So look, if, yes, you can put a subject to finance in, but someone else may be a cash buyer and and be already pre-approved and have shorter settlement terms. You you don't want to, um, I suppose, 
tie yourself in a knot by promising something that you can't deliver on. Yeah, I would echo that there. But I also think um, there's an episode we previously recorded about hot markets versus cold markets. And it's really important to understand what market you're in because that will also have a real impact on how you should be positioning your offer based on a buyer's or a seller's market or a hot or a cold market. There's sometimes more leniency for finance clauses in particular markets but uh, you know what? It's worth a shot. If you if you have found a property that you really like and you want to put an offer forward, it's much better to put it forward as strong as you possibly can, um, ideally with minimal conditions. But if you had to put a finance clause in there and your broker has told you that is the case, then uh, definitely do that. I think the the rounding that out particular question would be have your finance in place from the get-go before you go shopping. Yeah, so ducks in a row, and and they would be listening to this well and truly after this weekend. Um, so yes, <laughs> they won't really get our our thoughts on it before the they see the property. So hopefully, it's all worked out okay. Yes, definitely. I'm sure there's other people in a similar predicament. Mm. Now, our next one comes from Christina Horn and she says, would you ever consider buying a property to live in in a flood zone? The last flood was in the 1970s. Obviously, insurance premiums are higher when including flood cover, but I'd love to have a discussion about the idea in general. What can we tell Christina? What are your immediate thoughts about that? Yeah, look, it's definitely not a no-no for me. It's a proceed with caution advice piece there. I think there's usually in most states, there's a one in 25 and a one in one in 100 uh, ruling of flood in, in a particular area. So by the sounds of it, if it hasn't happened since 1970, it may have maybe um, less risky than the, the one in 25. Um, I, I know, yeah, back in 2011, I think it was Brisbane had all those floods, which was basically man-created, I think, without being controversial. Um, and, and that skyrocketed insurance premiums. Knowing that that situation probably shouldn't happen again. So buying in those areas, and I know those areas actually dropped in value quite considerably after that. Um, buying in those areas, it's not a it's not a proven flood zone. It just happened as a result of other, I suppose, reasons. So I just look at the circumstance, talk to the neighbours and see what's happening in that area, what's the trend. Whilst it hasn't happened in 50 years, doesn't mean it's not going to happen again. Would it stop me from buying? Probably not. I'd just factor in maybe a higher insurance premium, but you can also check that um, with some insurance companies prior to putting in an offer. Definitely. And the same applies for bushfire zones as well. Um, I recently have actually there's three clients who are looking in an area that um, has high bushfire ratings and the premiums are definitely obviously higher for obvious reasons in those areas. Um, also, fun fact, something I learnt is the premium can be higher based on the metre distance to a national park. Um, so there was one, they asked the question, is it within 50 metres of a national park or 500 metres or a kilometre? And actually that in itself made it vary. So you might want to purchase in the area, but then you might actually refine based on distance to, to national parkland um, if that's the case. So yeah, something to consider. Um, we do live in Australia, so we get all sorts of things here, floods, bushfires, you name it. 
Yes, yeah. and and just as a finishing note on that question, it, and it is a great question, just check that particular house and how that's structured and ready for a potential flood as well. Yeah, definitely. Now, I'm looking at a very meaty question for the next one. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we've got an interesting question around buying established versus buying something to build. We'll be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So we are back with a question that we're going to nut out from Lisa Marie. And in the Facebook group, she says, I have a question. What one would you choose or which one is better investment wise to buy an established house or to build? Now, we have done an episode on this in a broad sense, but Lisa Marie has provided some very specific numbers around this case scenario. So, John, I'd love to get your thoughts on it and I'll have a bit of a word about it as well. So, she's highlighted, so for the established, positive, she said, if I buy an established house, I could purchase right now and get into the property. Well, that's certainly a positive. No stress of finding land and building and probably get it cheaper. Um, regional towns can sort of range from 250k to 400k Uh, the negatives is there's not many houses that she likes that's something I find all the time people looking for established houses isn't it Mm. can't find something they like I'll miss out on the first home buyer's grants that's a building grant she's referring to might have to renovate so let's just unpack the established pros and cons there Mm. before we head into the building do you come across these often as well John Absolutely. Yeah, I've done multiple videos on this and and pros and cons and and obviously the the broad answer is it it comes back to your strategy and what you want uh out of w- within your portfolio I suppose um and whether you're going to be living in it for a time or period or not. Um from a first homeowner point of view, yes, 2020 saw some unbelievable grants for for building. And I've, I've got some clients personally that, that definitely cleaned up in that space by building. Um, mm. the, the stamp duty one is probably the main difference there. So you're, yeah. if you're building, you're, you're paying stamp duty on the land only. 
and 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 not on the whole dwelling that like you do when you buy something existing. So that can potentially get you into the what well, does get you into the market for less less deposits. So that's that's attractive. From a I suppose a con in respect to building you you a lot of the time not building in an established area. So it's it might be actually a, a satellite suburb or a new greenfield estate where it's further out of town and it's um, the infrastructure maybe hasn't been built, the shops haven't come yet, sort of a build it and they shall come mentality. So there is a risk associated with that, uh, mm. but there's also some opportunity there if, if you're buying in at the right time. So it's more of a speculative play to do that. If you're, if you're building in what we call an infill um, land, estate or, or infill land, we, it's buying or building in an established suburb already. So less mm. risk involved in that, but usually higher land price. So there's pros and cons for both. And you could argue that, that both perform for you. You've just got to do, do your due diligence on both. Yeah, definitely. Her closing comments on it was that she has a deposit of fifty thousand, the loan estimate um, of about four hundred thousand, and if she builds, she'll have an extra three months to save, which would probably save at least another ten grand in that time. On the Facebook feed, there's been lots of different. I think there's over forty comments on which one to do and why. <laughs> but look, as we always say. It comes back to your personal preferences, your personal circumstances. There is no right or wrong answer on new versus established. John and I did do an episode on this. Go back and check it out on the previous season about this great debate. Yes, uh, that is a yes. great bit. Um, and I'll just give you an example while we're, while we're here. So yeah. if we bought a 500K property in New South Wales, the stamp duty on that would be 18000 um, at the at the time of writing, now if we were just purchasing vacant land, where we're purchasing only the land value, so let's say that that land value might be two hundred fifty thousand. Um, now all the government grants aside for now, uh, we'd only be paying seven grand in stamp duty. So you've got about an eleven grand saving there, which um, again, like she mentioned allows you to um, to get into the market sooner with less money um, and while it's getting built enables you or lands getting sorted through council built approved allows you to save more money. So generally speaking, that 11 grand that you save can be put towards the holding costs because the holding costs are a big game stopper for a lot of people in their own minds. But I always say the, la- the stamp duty that you save by buying land only, you can put aside and put into the holding costs while it's getting built. 100%. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, John. You always make a lot of sense. My wife doesn't You're a say wise that. man. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we have another question here. Actually, we've got quite a few. I'm just trying to pick, pick which one. We'll go with Kate for the moment. Kate says, property tips, putting in an offer. I'm after any tips for putting in an offer on the house. We've come in second a couple of times now and I'm just wondering if there's anything we can do to change our strategy for the next one to change our outcome. Now, I know from the people I speak to, particularly home buyers, how frustrating it is when you keep missing out. And sometimes, you know, I had one recently where it's a really unfortunate situation because the buyer came to me and said, Emily, we're going to enlist your help because we just missed out on our third property 
but mm. the gut-wrenching part of it was their offer was higher than what the property sold for. Their oh, terms no. were not suitable for the vendor. Wow. And it was 20 grand higher than what the property sold for. Oh, 20 Ouch. grand. So, right? Wow. So do you think if you got involved earlier in the process, you wouldn't have had those terms in there? Was it a, did they need to have those terms or was it just a comfort thing? Well, unfortunately, I found out they didn't really need to have those terms um, that they did. It was to do with finance. Finance was already approved well well above what they were offering. Um, mm. Their broker had, had told them as a blanket rule when they um, first engaged them to always have a finance clause in there. Yes. Now, okay. the, thing, the thing with this is now I'm not a broker, so please, listeners, don't take this as it, advice. It's not financial advice. But what I will say is when you go to bid at an auction, you don't have a finance clause. So the question to be asking your broker is, if this property were an auction, would I be allowed to bid on it? And that almost mindset shift in, oh, yeah, you'd be fine to bid, your finance would be okay. The broker nine times out of ten will tell you to put a finance clause in if you've never had a pre-approval or an assessed approval come through because they need to cover themselves, right? That's the Mm. broker who's advising you on it. But, um, yeah, this is a really unfortunate event where, yeah, 20 grand more that the vendor could have pocketed. Now, in terms of uh, Kate's question here about what can we be doing differently, I would strongly suggest, and I don't know how she's been going about it previously, but my tips for offering would be find out what the vendor wants, not just the money, find out what they really need. Do they can you entice them with a, a larger deposit that you're happy to give early release on if everything's all good? Do they want a longer settlement because they haven't yet bought something? Would it be uh, helpful to them if some of the furniture stayed in the house? Is it going to be an issue for them to remove everything? There's lots of different angles you can take to make your offer more attractive. But one other thing I've done previously is actually put a little note about who the buyer is and why they want the property. Yes, because emotional. that um emotional piece exactly of particularly when it's a family home sale and they want to know it's going to someone good. I've actually heard of circumstances where properties have been under offer but they've sold to a home buyer at a lesser price than being sold to a developer who put an offer at a higher price because they didn't want the house knocked down. How crazy is that? Yep. So any budding developers out there, never say you're a developer when you're putting in an offer. (laughs) (laughs) Going to bulldoze your family home. (laughs) Yes. No, all awesome tips. The only things I would add to that is one, I very rarely put in a subject to finance clause. Even if I think I need it, I'd call it subject to building and pest or something like that, which is mm-hmm. standard and, and and vendors and, and agents can jump up and down when they see subject to, to finance. So you've still got conditions, you can still pull out. It just, uh, the word finance might um, put them off. And the other one would be get out there and put more offers. So- I often get the the phone call of, John, I just can't find anything. Um, I've been looking for ages. Okay, how long have you been looking? Uh, How many offers, how many properties have you seen? How many offers have you put out there? Oh, I haven't put any offers out there yet. Well, we're, we're, we're looking, but we're not actually playing the game. We got dressed, but we didn't actually start the game, right? So let's get our hands dirty and put in more than one offer at, at one time, I would be, I would say as an aggressive approach. Now, if you're living in it, it's a very different conversation because you're a bit more emotionally attached. But 
if it's investment, then there's nothing wrong with getting two or three or four offers out there at any one time. 100% would echo that. I think that's a really aggressive and, and good approach to be taking. If you're serious about buying, then it can't hurt to be playing the game, I think. Play the game. Play the game. Now, um, one final question for closing. And this is, I mean, it's actually not so much of a direct question at us, John. It's more, it's a community-based one, but I think it's good to share our thoughts. So, Alison says, for context, I'm located in Melbourne and I don't have a partner. I was planning on buying my first home in 2020, but of course, COVID happened. I'm one of the lucky ones who did not have a salary or financial situation impacted. I moved back home and I crunched down on my savings and I was actually in an ideal position to purchase a property back in March 2020. She's saying that she does love her family, um, but with everyone at home and also working from home, it's not the most ideal situation. So she's thinking of renting for 12 months and buying the following year but also has this burning desire to be a property owner of her own home. She says, if you're in a similar situation to me, what are your plans? Are you going to watch the property market to see if it bounces back or are you going to hold off? It's a little bit to unpack there. (laughs) There is. So (laughs) to see if the property market bounces back, I don't know what market she's referring to within Melbourne, but the, the property market is moving along quite well. Mm-hmm. With, mm-hmm. In, in Melbourne. So if you're waiting around to see the market tank or to, to re- readjust in a negative way, you might be waiting a while or it might actually never happen. I'm not sure. But yeah, that when you're out of the market, you, you can't take advantage of any growth that occurs. So my, my general thoughts would be if we've got the money to get into a market, then we've got to seriously consider transacting. Yeah, definitely. And how about the comment about potentially renting for 12 months um, in the interim? Maybe she might become a rent vester in the meantime, like actually buy something but rent at the same time. Is that a good yeah. solution maybe? Yeah, so she's she'd be going from being what I call a free vester, living at home mm. for free and investing to – renting and potentially investing into something. So, yeah, and, and this is the conundrum that Melbourne and Sydney folk are in, which New York and London have been dealing with for years and years. They <laughs> they may never be homeowners. They simply just want to live in a suburb. They're not going to deviate from wanting to live in that suburb. Their only choice is to rent in that suburb and have the lifestyle they want and go and then rent vest somewhere else because they know they can buy an investment property somewhere for 500 grand. So, yeah, it's that very much that dance of do I hang out 12 months to buy my home in the desired um, suburb or do I rent vest now? I mean, yeah, it, that's a very tough question. I, I would find a way to try and buy my own home now mm. somehow if that was um, if that was me and my desire was to, to live in it. Yeah, agree. If you've got a burning desire to do so, then um, I think action is key. Now, that's all the time we have today for questions, but please reach out to us. Tag us. Like when you – if you listen to this and think, yeah, I want to ask a question, put it in the My Millennial Money group 
and tag us. So Emily Wallace, John Pigeon, we're both in there. We press a little at symbol, you can tag us. Uh, and we actually collate these, like every time I see one, I screenshot it or I send it to John uh, because we want to be able to shout out to you. We want to answer what you want to hear about and make the show relevant for you because at the end of the day, the show is for the listeners. It's not for us. It's it's for yeah. you guys. So let's make it about you. And um, we'd love to hear what you want to know. And uh, if you've got a situation you want us to talk through, I love those ones, the situation yes. pieces. Yes. Yeah, lay it out on the line, put it out there, and we'll walk, we'll walk through it um, in a general nature so you can um, can understand what's possible. Yes, yes, we do. Yeah, so look, absolutely. Um, what just Emily said, I agree with. Um, <laughs> I don't uh, – <laughs> if you tag me, I, I won't always um, like or reply. I'll do my best, but um, Emily's the, the queen of that, so she'll be right onto it and she'll notify both of us, I am sure. Definitely, certainly will. And also if you're listening to this and you've really enjoyed the podcast, if you're a regular listener, because I know there's some of you, we we can see there's some of you who listen to this every single week as it's released. It would mean the world to us if you could put forward your thoughts in the form of a review. Hopefully it's a five-star one. Any feedback, any comments for us um, to help this podcast grow and reach more people who really want that property education. Um, we'd love to be able to help as many people as we can through this. So your support is always appreciated. Absolutely. Good chat, great questions. You just can't make these up, can we? No, you cannot. Definitely not. We look forward to answering more questions, more Q&A sessions throughout 2021. For now, have a great week ahead and we'll certainly be in your ears very soon. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And I've created the Buying Coach, built from my experience as a buyer's advocate to demystify the confusion around purchasing property, particularly for first home buyers. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.